So I was, I was watching a, a movie trailer, and it was, it, was, it was a while ago. I don't remember exactly how long ago. I never watched the movie, so I can't tell you what the name of the movie was. I can tell you that Mark Wahlberg was in it. It was a, a typical movie, I think, of his where he's kind of the savior of the world, kind of fighting for what's right and good and true. And evidently, they're in a, a predicament, a life and death situation, and he's trying to bring somebody with him through the danger. And this person that he's talking to, you never see it on the trailer, but the person that he's talking to, I imagine that they're really scared. And he says this one phrase that stuck with me. He asked this person that he's trying to help get through this danger. He says, do you want to live in a world where people feel cozy and validated all the time? Or do you want to live in a world that works? So to begin this morning, before we open up John chapter 19, my, my question because we do all, we would all like to, I mean, I, I don't know about cozy, but I, I want to be happy. I want to be validated. But I also want to live in a world that works. And what we're going to read in our passage in John 19, while all the gospel is serious, this is, I guess, the climax of the seriousness because Jesus is about to be crucified. And what we're going to see is Jesus in John 19, Jesus is going to go into the darkness so that we can live in the light. And realize when I say that, <clears throat> Jesus goes into the darkness so that we can live in the light, but actually it's so that we can take the light back into the very dark world, the real world. That's why Jesus goes to the cross. So let's read this passage. It's printed for you in your bulletins. If you have your Bibles, you can open it up, but I'm going to read, if you would follow along with me, John 19, verses 1 through 16. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for again I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? 
And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. But everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out, sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And they took Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that this morning that what many of us know to be true, that Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for our sins, I pray. I pray that that would become more real to us for those who may be seeking, may be wondering who this Jesus is. I pray that you would make it clear this morning through your word. Would you use this time now? bring you glory in Christ's name. Amen. So I have two points this morning. The world that we live in is number one, and the world Jesus brings through the cross. And before we we get into the actual text, I want to give you my main idea. I want you to think about it for a second. Because what we see in this passage, what we read in this passage, what was happening thousands of years ago when Jesus is standing before the Jewish leaders with Pilate, Jesus is standing before God and before a watching world, and he's standing there as the representative human being who's been broken by the world's sin. And he embraces that sin willingly. He, without sin himself, he embraces it so that he can take in his body or take in his life the death that we deserve so that we can live like we were intended to live. That's what's happening in John chapter 19. So if you are not a Christian here this morning, I think it's fair to say the things that you are seeking, the good things that you are seeking from yourself or maybe from the world, they're going to let you down. They cannot deliver what it is you ultimately need. And that's why Jesus Christ goes to the cross and dies. If you are a Christian here this morning, I do want you to recognize that this is Jesus Christ dying for our sins so that we can be saved. But I want us to go deeper than that this morning. I want us to come to grips with the fact that as we actually take in this truth, appropriate it in our hearts, hearts, when that becomes the core of who we are, then we will, like Jesus, die to ourselves. 
We will die to our own desires. We will die to our own vision for what we think our life should look like. And as we die with Christ, that's when we'll be filled with the Holy Spirit and that's when we will truly live like we were intended to live. So let's look at our passage very quickly. Let's look at, number one, the world we live in. I'm just going to review the story very quickly. Pilate takes Jesus, flogs him, most likely with whips, stones embedded in the whips, and tears the flesh. The soldiers weave together a a crown with thorns, and they don't just lay it on his head. They place it, push it down on his head. And they dress him up like a would-be king. And realize the emphasis not only in John, but the emphasis in all the Gospels, it's not on the physical pain that Jesus is experiencing, as intense as that is. The emphasis is on the humiliation. The emphasis is on the shame. The emphasis is on the dignity being taken away from Jesus, the Son of God. And to make that humiliation, to make that shame complete, Pilate brings him out for everybody to see. As if to say to the crowds, here's the man that you find so dangerous. He's mocking Jesus and he's ridiculing the Jewish authorities. Now realize, Pilate really doesn't care about what he's doing. He's really mostly bothered by all of this. He's a man of the world. He's got responsibilities. He's going through the motions, but more or less it's a nuisance to Pilate. Even so, he really doesn't see the need to have Jesus killed. He says twice, this man is innocent. Pilate gets a little bit more concerned when the Jews tell him that they want him crucified. They say that, Because in verse 7, he has made himself to be the Son of God. Actually, he was and is the Son of God. Bothers Pilate a little bit. He's already been told by his wife to have nothing to do with this man. So Jesus takes him back behind the scenes and he asks the question, where are you from? Now, this is Jesus. That's not an easy answer. It's more complicated than it sounds. But that's not the reason Jesus doesn't answer Pilate. Pilate has already shown himself not to be interested in the truth, if you go back and read John 18. So Pilate is guilty, even though in verse 11, his is not the greater sin. In other words, the Jewish leaders, they're really bad. Pilate's just a little bad. The Jews have initiated the trial. They're the ones who have betrayed Jesus, but Pilate is still guilty. He's responsible because he's a spineless, politically motivated decision maker. Even so, Pilate still wants to release him. But then Caesar comes into play. The Jewish leaders, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. And everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And it's all over now. This is the world of politics, the world of power, the world of prestige. That's what matters. So Pilate takes him out. He sits on the judgment seat. And he has Jesus delivered over to be crucified. John is giving us the irony of ironies. A spineless judge delivering the guilty verdict on the true judge of the world and the Jewish leaders, the religious men, saying, we have no king but Caesar. The whole thing's a sham. 
Not one thing, not even according to Roman law, not according to Jewish law, nothing has been done according to the laws of the world. Injustice reigns. Someone has said it like this, Jesus comes not to a purified and enlightened world prepared for his arrival, but rather Jesus comes to a humanity no nearer to its original goodness than on the day that Cain murdered his brother Abel. The world we live in. There's one thing that I, I think is not under dispute in our time, in our day, in our world right now. This world doesn't seem to be working very well. And we have, we have disputes over what's the cause of that. But I will tell you, this may be under dispute, but I will tell you that each and every human being have played a part in creating this messed up world that we live in. Certainly, we may have been sinned against by other people. I don't think anybody in this room has not been sinned against by somebody else. But it's also true that we have sinned against others. And because of this world that we live in, we hurt, we are broken. Things don't go the way they're supposed to go. And no matter how hard we try, we can't fix it. We try. We try to distract ourselves from the pain, but in the end, nothing ever completely fully works. And in this situation, the Romans think they have a political problem. The Jewish leaders think they have a religious problem. But deep down, it's all a spiritual problem. What's happening in John's day when Jesus walked the earth? And what's happening today in our world, it's all a symptom of sin. It's a world that has been and is separated from God. And this is why Jesus Christ comes to die on the cross. The world we live in. And I want us to pause here and I want us to think about just for a minute why Jesus is allowing himself to do this. He's actively entering into this public humiliation, this shame, this lack of dignity, because it's very clear in this gospel, very clear in all the gospels, that Jesus doesn't have to do it. Jesus says here, you have no authority unless it comes from above. Yet it, so it's very, very clear that Jesus is in control, that Jesus is in charge Yet he willingly enters into an unjust, wicked, sinful situation to ultimately, in the end, die in the most shameful way imaginable. Why? And I'm not asking for the correct theological answer here. Of course, it's true that Jesus did this to die in our place to save us from our sins. I know many of us already know that. Maybe you've heard that. But I want us to go deeper this morning. I want us to see personally. I want us to think that if it didn't happen this way, I want you to see that if, if God doesn't come personally in, in the person of Jesus Christ, if he doesn't experience the evil as a human being, if God were just to come down even right now and stand here, and if he were to just say, it's going to be okay, hang in there. Because that's true. But I want you to think about 
how does that help? Where is the power in a God who just stands far off and says, it's going to be okay? What you see in this passage, what I want us to come to grips with this morning, is you're seeing God in the person of Christ entering into the mess that we have made. Not him. This is the mess that we have made. And he's saying, I know all about the world that you live in. I've experienced the world that you live in. I've experienced the pain of the world that you live in and the sin and the injustice and the evil. And I did that because I love you so much. Here I am. I I do have to recognize the fact that many of us have come into this place this morning full of joy. I mean, we just baptized cute little babies. I mean, I don't know in a church where they've ever baptized two couples of two sets of twins that were born within, I don't know, weeks of each other. we got the family here. We should rejoice with people that rejoice. Many of you have come back from spring break and and evidently, if your Facebook photos are any, any idea of reality, you had a good time. And we should rejoice. Many of us are happy here today just because we're oblivious to reality. That's not a good thing. But many of us are truly happy. And we should rejoice in that. But we also have to acknowledge the fact that those four children that we baptized this morning and their three other siblings, it's not going to always be that cute, is it? In fact, it's going to be probably pretty hard for them. And it's going to be hard for their parents. This world is not cozy and validating all the time. And that's why Jesus came. What you're seeing here is God coming to die on a cross. The world we live in is not the world it's supposed to be, nor is it the world that will be. It's marked by sin and selfishness and suffering. And what the Christian sees in the cross of Christ is God coming into the world because if he doesn't come into the world on the cross, then all the messes in the world will never be made right, and it doesn't matter. In fact, if God doesn't come in the person of Jesus Christ to die on the cross, the best we can get from him is just grin and bear it. That's the world we live in without Jesus. But let's look at the world that Jesus brings through the cross. You have to understand that Genesis is big in the gospel of John, right? Creation and recreation, they are big themes in the gospel of John. After all, it starts in the beginning. What you may not be aware of is in verse 5, when Jesus comes out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, you know what Pilate says? Pilate says, behold the man. Do you know when that was first said way at the beginning? It was in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, and God presents Adam and Eve after the promise of a Messiah, but still under the effects of the curse of death and his alienation, his separation from God, God says about the first Adam, behold the man. 
And Pilate is unwittingly saying the same thing, and God is using Pilate, and he's saying, with this man, everything is being reversed in the coming death of Jesus Christ. Behold the man, the second Adam. The first Adam messed everything up. The second Adam comes to make everything new. A.W. Pink, the first Adam betrayed God. The second Adam is betrayed for God. Death was born through sin. Life was born through death. What's happening is Jesus is coming into the depraved condition of the world in order to recreate everything that man has, been, that man has made wrong. The cross and the crucifixion, the place of death and humiliation, this is what most clearly expresses the love of God for his people and the nature of Jesus Christ as our king. It's on the cross. You know what else it most clearly expresses, the cross? The nature of the Christian life. Because as we learn to die with Christ, that's when we will truly start to live. Let me develop it like this. You know what Jesus' earthly life was all about? It was all a preparation for his death on the cross. And when he dies and when he's raised from the dead, you know what's happening? This dying world can now be raised back to life because of what Jesus Christ has done. Let me say it, let me say it like this. When I, was, when I was ordained many years back to be a minister of the gospel, we had this ordination service. And in that ordination service, the pastor-to-be receives a charge. That charge, or part of that charge to me was to prepare the dying for their death so that the dead can truly live. Now that was meant in a very narrow sense to me so that I would be faithful, so that I would encourage people to love Jesus Christ, to serve Jesus Christ, to be saved by Jesus Christ so they'd spend eternity with him. But there's a wider application for us as we consider the cross of Christ and what Jesus is doing on the cross. There's a wider application for you and for me. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can be revealed in our bodies. We always carry, we are to always carry around in our bodies the death of Jesus so that the life of him may also be revealed. Do you know what that means? This is one thing that I don't want you to walk away without. That as Christians, we don't simply look back on Jesus' death with grateful thoughts, as important as that is. We actually participate or should participate in Jesus' death. And as we do, that's when we start to live. It's so contrary to the American idea of life and happiness. You see, if we don't die with Christ, if we don't learn to live dying with Christ as Christians, then what in the world are we doing than living for ourselves? And living for ourselves is part of what makes this world such a mess. See, here's the point. Christians... We are to be so shaped by God's word, so shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ, that when suffering and death comes, we can make sense of it. But not only make sense of it, we can enter into the pain and the sin and the evil and the injustice 
and we can die to our own self so that we can live the resurrection life with Christ himself. Let me say it like this. This doesn't go for all of us in one sense, but in another sense it does. I am convinced that many of us are not experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which is the Spirit of Jesus Christ, which is resurrection life, which is being born again, which is new life, all those things that we talk about. We're not experiencing that because we're not willing to die to our own self. We're not willing to die to our own desires. We're not willing to die to our own vision for what we think our life should look like. And because we don't die with Christ, we never really live with him. What the cross tells us as Christians is, oh, you have a vision for your life. You have a vision for what you think is the good life. And God says, unless you die to that, you will never understand the good life that I've come to give. You see, we have, I'm very aware of this. I'm very, I don't want you to think, I'm very happy for you happy people out there. I really am. We have to have happy people out there. But I am also very aware of many of you sitting in the pews today that have been sinned against or have sinned against others, and because of that you are hurting. I am also very aware of many of you in this congregation today that have lost loved ones. Little baby loved ones. I'm aware of many of you that are fighting cancer. I am aware of many of you that are closing in on the last days of your life and you're closer to death than you were yesterday. If Jesus Christ doesn't come into the world to make things right, That stuff doesn't matter. But if Jesus Christ comes into the world and dies on the cross and is raised from the dead, then everything matters. And if it matters and it's real and we've been united to Christ in his death, then our lives are going to have a new trajectory. And that new trajectory is to die to our own vision for what we think is good and right and to live for Jesus Christ. And as we die to ourself, we get the light of Christ and we take the light of Christ and we enter into the darkness of the world and we say, Jesus Christ has come. That's a Christian. That's the only hope that the world has to offer, that we have to offer the world. I'm not saying that we should seek to be miserable, unhappy people. I'm not saying that we should even be satisfied with the way the world is. We shouldn't. I am saying that even in our most miserable moments, Jesus makes sense of it. And even in the midst of the most difficult and trying times, we go take up the cross of Jesus Christ with all of our pain. We take that cross into the world and we die to ourselves And as we die to ourselves, Jesus Christ raised us from the dead and we take his light into the world and we say there is reason, there is purpose, and there is hope. Are you willing to die to self? Last thing that I will say before we go to the Lord's Supper. 
Jesus is not the victim here. He is the king of glory in his death. And in Christ Jesus, we are not victims either. Because as we learn to die to our own ideas of what this life should be, we will reign with him in power. We don't just look back on the cross of Christ and say, wow, isn't that great? We're called here to take the cross of Christ, to be empowered by the cross of Christ, and to enter into this dark world. And as we enter into the dark world, we say there is light, there is hope, there is glory, and it is all Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Brothers and sisters in Christ, don't just look back on the cross and say, isn't that neat? Jesus tells us, to take that cross and to enter into that pain and enter into that suffering and enter into that darkness and be raised to new life. Let me pray. Father in heaven, you are a good God. You are a great God. And this world that we have here is not the way that it's going to be. But until that time, because Jesus Christ has come, I pray that we would live with hope, that we would live with power, that we would live with joy, that you would use us, that you would use us in the lives of people to show forth your glory as you die for us on the cross. Because we know the end of the story. We know that you've been raised from the dead. You know that, we know that you have raised us from the dead. And I pray that we would live full of your spirit, full of your power for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.